So we're back with our second podcast with Atul Gupta from Tri-Legal in India. And today we're speaking about the end of employment. Yes, that's right. So um, Atul, uh, some questions about uh, how, how people approach things uh, when, when we come to end employment. Um, kicking that off, what protections against dismissal do employees in India enjoy that employers need to be aware of? So Tim, this is one of the areas where uh, you know most uh, organizations looking to uh, do business in India or hire employees in India, right, are most curious about how in India courts have consistently held that termination of employment has to be for a reasonable cause. Now, unlike countries like the US, Indian courts do not recognize the concept of at-will employment or termination. Uh, so there has to be legitimate grounds such as employee misconduct, poor performance, loss of faith, uh, genuine business re redundancy, et cetera, right? Uh, before they can be a termination of employment. Now, in India, terminations, and the approach to termination uh, depends on variety of factors, right? One is the nature of the cause of the termination itself. And that's where terminations are typically uh, grouped as either termination simpliciter or stigmatic terminations. Now, termination simpliciter is essentially a termination which is largely for business reasons and it's not usually a reason which is attributable to be a, a, a sort of, you know, uh, stigmatized behavior of an employee, for example, misconduct. So you would find matters like redundancy, poor performance, uh, a loss of faith, even continued ill health, uh, falling into the bucket of uh, simplicity determinations, right? Now, each of these will have further rules and procedures around how you would approach a redundancy determination. For example, if you're dealing with protected workers under the Industrial Disputes Act, right, uh, to make them redundant, you need to follow the last and first out rule. Uh, if someone has worked for 240 days or more, they need to be given a minimum one month notice of payment in lieu thereof. They need to be paid a retrenchment compensation before their last date of employment. Intimations must be filed to the government authorities, right? In some industries in India, in fact, and I would say India is probably one of the only uh, uh, few countries in the world where something like this applies. You actually cannot make people redundant and terminate them as a as a termination simpliciter even uh, in certain industries. So in factories, mines, and plantations in India, which employ hundred or more workmen. And this limit is 300 in some Indian states. The organization simply cannot retrench a worker without prior government permission. Right? So this is something that organizations need to be uh, mindful of. Uh, and this is a very major protection that is available to certain protected class, classes of, of workers in India. Now, the other forms of simplicity domination would be things like poor performance, where you know, again, it's driven by uh, court evolved jurisprudence mostly where courts have said that you know if someone is a poor performer you need to first give them peer performance criteria highlight what areas they're lacking in, give them an opportunity to improve before you can actually move forward with a fair termination on this grounds uh, i also talked about loss of faith where 
Now, this is usually applicable for people in, in slightly more senior positions who you can argue are, are holding positions of trust and confidence, right? And if they do something or they don't do something which shakes their organization's faith or confidence in them, then it could be a just ground for termination on these terms, right? Uh, Indian law also specifically recognizes that continued ill health could be a fair and a reasonable ground to uh, retrench a worker. Uh, in fact, it's treated as an exception from the definition of retrenchment, right? So you don't have to pay them compensation for it as well. But what amounts to legitimate continued ill health is again very subjective. Courts generally view it to be something which is sufficiently uh, an illness which is sufficiently long and which affects the discharge of the normal duties of an employee, right? So some intermittent illness which might repeat and come and go might not necessarily fit that bill, correct? So these are the grounds on which you would find that there could be termination simpliciter, which is typically for notice, with notice and with compensation, uh, right? Uh, and, and this is viewed as a reasonable cause. Uh, apart from this, there is also something known as stigmatic termination, which is essentially a termination for misconduct, right? Where there is a sort of clear and, and established violation of uh, contractual terms or policies. Now, because of the very nature of this kind of termination where, you know, an employee potentially stands to be blacklisted, uh, there are, you know, precautions that you know, courts have essentially promulgated through jurisprudence to say that if you were to dismiss someone and where there is a dismissal for misconduct, you could potentially harm someone's future job prospects. It then needs to be backed by a, a fair process, right? Uh, rules of natural justice, as they're called, have to be followed, which would typically involve steps like conducting an investigation, issuing a charge sheet to an employee, conducting a disciplinary inquiry, through an independent inquiry officer, etc. So obviously, these types of terminations are uh, harder to do, would uh, be riskier as well, especially if you're dealing with workman category employees. There might be an argument to make that if an individual is not protected by any state or central labor law, uh, they're not a workman, right? Largely, maybe they fall into a management category. That you don't necessarily need to follow these elaborate procedures to dismiss them, right? But again, it's a very case-specific case. -specific case. So that's a quick summary of what are these sort of protections that you would find under Indian law. You need to have reasonable cause and, and if you are terminating for misconduct, which is also a reasonable cause, then there have to be more elaborate disciplinary proceedings uh, that have to be conducted. Understood. Understood. That's a very helpful overview. And, and just to, I suppose just to always helpful to sort of compare to our own jurisdiction and, and, and understand the sort of comparators. So in the UK, um, where an employee has a certain length of service, so two years of service, they have protection against what we call unfair dismissal. It was basically, um, this means there are limited circumstances in which a termination can be made and the employer needs to go through a fair process and compensation is, is capped at a set amount, uh, the lower of uh, a year's money or around £90,000. And, and because of that cap on the compensation, employees often bring um, claims for discrimination, which is an uncapped 
uh, claim here to maximize their uh, potential compensation. Uh, and, and so I was just wondering, do you have, I suppose, two parts, do you have similar unfair dismissal laws in India, possible caps, and do you have um, the same sort of issue around discrimination claims being brought in India as well to try to increase pressure and maximize potential compensation? Yeah, so Tim, I think uh, that's a very interesting question. And uh, Indian law and jurisprudence hasn't evolved to this level, level really, right? Uh, so there aren't these types of monetary caps uh, in India, uh, which would uh, potentially uh, incentivize an individual to try and pursue other types of claims, such as a discrimination claim, right? To try and maximize the, the compensation that they would get. In India, the jurisprudence and the law is relatively more simpler. Uh, you largely look at whether or not an employee is protected by a state or a central labor law, such as the state-specific Shops and Establishments Act or the Industry Disputes Act. If they are, right, and then subject to state-specific rules, they could bring a claim of unfair termination and seek reinstatement into their employment with back wages as a remedy, right? And there isn't really any sort of monetary cap as to what those back wages might be. So we find that sometimes uh, claims for unfair termination are made uh, several years later, even though there is a limitation period, that limitation period often gets condoned by courts, right? But we often find that people bring such claims several years later, the disputes themselves take a couple of years to uh, to conclude and you might land in a situation where you know five seven years down you are uh, you are required to reinstate an employee with back wages right so for the protected category and again it can be a very state specific assessment as to what is the level of remedy i can see but generally speaking they could claim reinstatement into their past employment uh, with their back wages there's a couple of caveats, of course, if you've been actively employed somewhere else while you were pursuing this dispute, you know, you might not have the ability to claim uh, reinstatement or full back wages, correct? Uh, but uh, there isn't a cap, a monetary cap on the kind of compensation that you would typically find people can, can see if they are a protected category. So we don't also therefore see an offshoot of uh, sort of, you know, uh, discrimination claims uh, arising in India. Now, for the people who aren't really protected by any of these labor statutes, uh, which again, as a very broad generalization, would largely uh, cover people in core supervisory or managerial function, right? Uh, those individuals would uh, often just have the ability to, to institute a civil suit, right? Alleging that their uh, termination was fair or uh, or malified or you know they were victimized and the you know employer did not act in a fair and equitable manner so they would largely attempt to claim that there was some form of breach of contract or inequitable conduct and and the compensation that that would be awarded would be driven by various general principles around whether they're able to prove those damages and other equitable principles, right? Again, there's no real monetary cap, but I haven't seen courts in India normally award very massive amounts as compensation, right? Uh, uh, so 
so while the law can be fairly sort of pro employee the uh, the overall dispute resolution process uh, in india might not, might be argued to be uh, slightly more favorable to an employer eventually that's that's really interesting actually particularly the um, the protected uh, the protected group where they can be obviously reinstated even after several years of back pay um we we do have the concept of reinstatement but it's it's very very rarely um, um used in the uk so that is that is really interesting um and just touching on something you mentioned before about kind of conduct um dismissals and having to go through a process are there circumstances um where an employer can terminate we would say for cause in the uk well broadly say for cause it's kind of summary dismissal so terminate without notice immediately in circumstances such as kind of we call it gross misconduct do you have a similar a similar thing in in india yeah that's right really so we do have that concept it's recognized uh, under law and uh, you know one of the exceptions to what amounts to retrenchment whereby uh, i don't have to compensate an employer with the notice or pay you of notices where they have committed misconduct now what amounts to misconduct therefore has to be carefully defined by uh, organizations there have been some judgments and rulings which have said that if if you've not clearly communicated to employees up front that certain actions uh, could result in termination in other words could be viewed as as misconduct and could result in termination then your uh, attempt to do so uh is potentially uh flawed so it's very important therefore that organization sort of uh, as i was alluding to earlier as well you know building clear termination provisions in their contracts and policies i've seen organizations go into painstaking detail of what they view to be misconduct uh, uh in light of the nature of their operations right and uh, clearly define that you know if there are certain types of misconducts then we reserve the right to to terminate you and dismiss you from your from your employment without uh, any notice of payment in in lieu thereof uh because employees stand to potentially lose out other forms of compensation as well uh, like retrenchment compensation you have to be cautious that you view any such termination uh, in a in a fair and equitable manner you follow the rules of natural justice and do the necessary disciplinary proceedings at least for the workman category employees correct uh for the non workmen the non protected categories you might have a little bit more leeway on how you approach such exits uh, but it's advisable to to build clear policies around these right so that you don't get hit by unnecessary unfair termination and and dismissal claims that makes sense um that's that's really helpful and then in the uk um separate to the unfair dismissal protections um an employer needs to comply with the the terms of the contract of employment with the um, the employee and so usually this requires notice to be given unless it's come um, as i say summary dismissal um but the contract we often see contracts give the employer the right to place an employee on garden leave or to pay in lieu of the notice do you have similar concepts in india yeah so again these aren't really statutorily provided for you know concepts like garden leave at least it's it's fairly common to see that uh, an employer may not require an employee to serve out his or her notice period in case of a termination and they can buy out that notice period uh, you know assuming it's sort of like a simplicity termination uh, but 
the most state level laws and you know even the central industry disputes law do prescribe certain minimum notice periods that you have to provide uh, to the protected categories of employees uh, who have the minimum qualifying tenure which is usually uh, depending on the law anywhere from 6 months to 240 days or more right uh, so you have to ensure that you are uh, in case of implicit determinations giving them that minimum notice or paying them a little bit off now as i mentioned earlier terminations for misconduct could be without that notice of compensation either now there is no concept of gardening leave under law but these are very commonly uh, seen and included and we recommend that organizations include them in, into employment contracts because uh, they serve a very useful purpose especially in light of the fact that you know uh, post separation non compete provisions are uh, are unenforceable in any context so uh a gardening leave provision which is sort of reasonable in terms of duration and which sort of runs in parallel to let's say an employee's notice period uh has a very good chance of being enforced in india right uh there are limited judgments around the the concept of gardening leave there's one mumbai high court ruling uh, where an organization attempted to essentially couch their post separation non compete as a gardening leave and they said that you know once your employment ends you will be on gardening leave for the next i think 6 to 8 months both said that no once your employment has ended you can't then you know put someone on a gardening leave but uh, you, you could read that to me that a gardening leave that that continues to subsist while an employee is still working or uh, you know still employed is maybe serving out their notice period as a better chance of being upheld in the context that's great thank you um atul just i know we touched on a little bit earlier so apologies to be going back but we touched a little bit on the the idea of of certain people potentially being reinstated um following following termination but can we talk a bit about groups of employees who might have special protections against dismissal and and and, and who they are and, and what protections they have yeah tim that's again a very important factor that uh, companies need to bear in mind while they are uh, carrying out terminations for varying causes right it could be simplicity determination it could be dismissal now uh, so for example uh, employees uh, are protected from termination during the tenure of their maternity benefit under the indian maternity benefit law right so you cannot then uh, let's say a woman has delivered a child and is in the midst of a maternity leave you cannot then serve her a notice of termination during that period or even serve her a notice of termination before she's commenced her maternity leave if that notice were to take effect when her maternity benefit were to begin right so there is an express bar on such terminations uh, Uh, under the maternity benefit act with some exceptions for very cross identified misconduct uh there are certain categories of employees in india typically those uh, again again the wage thresholds varies from time to time but currently the wage threshold is uh, inr uh, 21000 a month which is roughly about 210 british pounds a month uh those earning below this threshold uh have certain benefits under a law known as the employee state insurance act so 
an employee, if he, he or she is receiving a sickness benefit or a maternity benefit or a disabled benefit under this law, I'll call it the ESI Act for short, then uh, his or her employment cannot be terminated during such period either. Right now, if they are under a medical treatment for sickness under the ESI Act, then their employment cannot be terminated until a period of, I think, six months after the until after the treatment has has been completed. In certain ailments, this could be a longer period. Right. Uh, there is also the Industrial Disputes Act, which uh, defines certain protected categories of workers. Uh, uh, you know. There's a specific definition of who amounts to a protected workman. When there is a ongoing dispute, let's say between an organization and its workers, right? So, uh, so workers who are recognized to be members of the executive or office bearer, bearers of a registered trade union, right? Uh, in connection with an establishment uh, have a protected category. And, uh, you know, those types of workers and Otherwise, also workers in general, there could be limitations on altering their, uh, uh, adversely altering their conditions of service during the pendency of disputes, including dismissal or discharges or punishments, right? So these are the types of uh, individuals that you need to be mindful of, uh, right? Who might claim some form of protection from terminations uh, and... Uh, uh, and you need to plan your exercises, therefore, keeping these types of limitations in mind. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can see that. I mean, it needs quite a bit of care, doesn't it, in, in that situation? Um, and I suppose another environment I'm thinking about is um, things like works councils and, and employee representative bodies. Now, to, to what extent do employers need to involve uh, those organisations, works councils, employee bodies, when thinking about dismissing an employee? So this isn't really something that you would see commonly in India and there isn't really a statutory requirement either to engage with works councils or uh, representative bodies. Uh, unless of course, you know, you happen to have like a, a recognized union and you have some form of uh, sort of uh, settlement agreement with them, which, which creates such an obligation on you. Right now, generally speaking, uh, termination of employees in a manufacturing environment with unions is uh, harder than where you might not be dealing with unions because very often unions, uh, even though they might not have a right to be consulted uh, before any any workman is terminated or not, often will uh, will question, challenge, or protest. A termination if they think that it was unfair, right? So even in the absence of uh, of a positive obligation under the law, we do often see practically, and again, this is very specific to sectors or industries where you might have uh, unions, right? Uh, we do often see practically that uh, organizations will 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 you know consult and coordinate with their unions before taking any such aggressive measures. Uh, right. Uh, and of course, this is also a factor of what your sort of overall relationship with those unions are, how supportive they are and how sort of, you know, pragmatic they are towards ensuring, you know, uh, fair and, 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 and ongoing operations. So that's, that's what I would say towards consulting requirements. As I was mentioning earlier, India is probably one of the 
only few countries in the world where there is a prior obligation uh, on certain classes of industries uh, to seek prior government permission uh, before they can uh, retrench any worker. This makes it practically impossible for them to carry out any form of, uh, of a termination in India, uh, right? Because such permissions are never easy or forthcoming. In that situation, what we do often see is that organizations then actively consult with employees or their representative bodies to roll out voluntary retirement schemes, right? Where uh, essentially they offer additional compensation to employees to voluntary, you know, depart from an organization in exchange for that incremental money. That's um, that's really helpful. Thank you. And um. Just, just finally. Um, um, so let's say we've we've dismissed an employee and they're they're starting to to bring a to bring a claim. Um, what practical steps should employers think about when trying to resolve termination disputes in India? For example, can you can you offer a severance package in return for a, a waiver of claims under a settlement, um, as you would in the UK? So you know, I guess this would depend on on whether you're trying to settle after you've already made a. A, a, a termination and you know you're already at a stage of some form of dispute in which case in India typically you know if, if someone were to a workman were to let's say challenge a termination as a first step they would go to a conciliation officer uh, appointed under the law who would attempt to try and settle the matter between the parties which is a good stage to try and come to a, a settlement uh, right and that could be a documented settlement where you agree to maybe compensate the individual and, and get a sort of uh, formal settlement agreement uh, recorded and put into place, right? But whether or not you in fact want to do that would be very, you know, matter and, and fact specific. We've seen some organizations say that we felt how we've acted is right and we cannot be seen as, as paying more money to an individual uh, for a fair termination. So we're going to dispute it, right? So the settlement before the conciliation officer fails and the matter then proceeds to the next level before an industrial court for adjudication. But uh, let's say, you know, you're at the planning stage, you haven't really yet carried out the termination itself. Uh, then yes, uh, we do often uh, examine the background and, and, and advise organizations that instead of carrying out, let's say unilateral terminations or dismissals, uh, you could look at alternate uh, strategies for exit, essentially managed exits, uh, where you would have conversations with the impacted employees, inform them of the reasons for the anticipated terminations, which could be a redundancy or a non-performance or apprehensions of misconduct, and try and examine if there can be an option for an amicable exit through a resignation or a mutual separation. Right? Um, not always, but often employees also prefer such an outcome because uh, it gives them the ability to move out smoothly from an organization. It doesn't potentially impact any future employment opportunities, right? But uh, these types of exits would then typically also come at a slightly higher cost for an organization because you would then be documenting a sort of a separation agreement, seeking a, a waiver and release of claims. Uh, uh, right, you would have to offer them some additional compensation as uh, as consideration for this. Now, such waivers, mind you, might not be hundred percent enforceable. At least, you know, you, they might be enforceable to the extent of waivers or releases involving sort of any contractual entitlements. But 
you could not potentially, let's say, get a waiver telling an employee that I'm waiving my uh, statutory right to a certain compensation or a benefit, right? So those might not really work. So, uh, you know, if you do realize that, you know, you might uh, be better off given the size scale or the reasons for, for the exits to carry out such managed exits, then you should plan for that in advance. Uh, try and, of course, uh, build up a, a strong case to carry out a, a unilateral termination if, if the conversation for a managed exit doesn't go well. So I think that's a very important step. But uh, uh, if, if, uh, if it is warranted, then these types of exits can work to achieve a, a separation more smoothly, more amicably and without sort of, you know, the ensuing worry of, uh, of a dispute hanging on, on the organization, right? Uh, one other area where I do see these types of managed exits being adopted more often than not is uh, for board level hires, you know, directors. Because uh, under the Indian Companies Act, termination of directors can be a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, procedure driven. You might need board and shareholders approvals, correct? So if you want to avoid going down that part, having public records of shareholders meetings or board meetings where you're sort of justifying terminations, right? Uh, you might want to look at a managed exit process instead. That's great. Thank you, Atul. That's been really helpful. Um, so that concludes our, our second podcast in this series. Um, and please do join us in the next podcast where we'll be covering other key employment law topics in India.